Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we have 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. Then we're excited to have Boston Globe columnist Joan Vinaki in studio with us for our interview this week. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom's talking Iowa and New Hampshire. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, we'll talk about the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and the reverberating impact on American culture this week. And we'll preview the Super Bowl, the marketing, the advertising, and how people will be experiencing the big game. And finally, we'll yield the balance of our time to our feature interview with Boston Globe columnist Joan Vanaki. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Hi. Kyan, how you doing? No complaints. No complaints. That's where I'm at. It's a high bar. No complaints. I'm generating positivity today. Excellent. That's my, that's my vibe. All right. Another action-packed week on 321 Go. Let's get to it. All right, Cayenne, uh, well, let's begin this week on a somber note, and it's been a really somber week nationwide. Uh, the death of Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and seven others in this uh, horrific uh, helicopter crash um, in California. Um, there, uh, the coverage of this has appropriately been absolutely uh, just overwhelming in the emotions. Um, it's, I realize it's going to be one of those things where I remember where I was, just because I was in kind of a strange place. I, I, I was with my family uh, snow tubing, and and I looked at my phone, I'm like, oh my goodness, and my son was up at the top of the mountain. I'm like, wait till he comes down. He's going to be so upset. And then like the then there was an announcement over the loudspeaker. Really? I'm serious. And and people were just, it was floor. And it, it, um, it was a little bit of a wake up to me that how much, of an impact yeah. this particular athlete had um, uh, throughout popular culture in America. So that's thing, thing number one, a, a yeah. terrible tragedy, uh, and, and it just continues to reverberate over and over again. I was in Target shortly after, as you know, most moms are on a Sunday afternoon, and there was just a buzz in the store. Everyone was talking about it within the first, I think it broke when I was like in the parking lot. And then within a half hour, everyone was talking about it in different ways. I actually was texting with uh, producer Catherine here. And I was like, there's a buzz in Target right now. It's, And it's you can't open a social media app still days later without just being flooded with whether it's images or tweets or posts um, of people just honoring and remembering. It's yeah. it's pretty impressive. I mean, by that metric, it's le- I mean, less than less than both hands. You know, the space shuttle, both space shuttles, 9-11, the Boston Marathon bombing, for whatever reason, because I was in kind of a memorable place, Jerry Garcia, the singer of the Grateful Dead, Kurt Cobain, and Kobe Bryant. I, I don't really immediately associate other major major yeah. celebrity deaths as to where I was at that moment, you know. It's kind of weird. So that, that's just, you immediately recognize, wow, 
that person has had much bigger impact yeah. than I ever would have imagined. Um, and then we look at, um, from the perspective of what a huge brand ambassador uh, uh, this person was, Kobe Bryant, and the impact he had in the marketing world, mm-hmm. and very quickly how all of the brands that he was involved in had to make decisions on how to appropriately deal with that. Yeah. And, and I think that's it takes us to really the most interesting part of this discussion, which you and I both noticed. Um, and there's a pretty good rundown in PR Week mm-hmm. of how different brands handled this, uh, particularly Nike. You know, yeah. And talk, let's talk about that. So I think uh, Nike, he is currently a brand ambassador for Nike. Uh, he was formerly for Adidas, but currently with Nike. Uh, if you, in the days after, went to the Nike website to buy anything Kobe Bryant-related, you were taken to a landing page that talked about his legacy and just honored him. None of his merchandise was available for um, for purchase. And I, I think that says a lot about how forward-thinking they are in terms of how what they do impacts their consumers. Like, they didn't want to be perceived as profiting off of him. They didn't raise their prices. They didn't drop the, They did. They just took it all off. They said, nope, until we figure out how to appropriately manage this in a way that honors him, his legacy, and his family, um, we're not going to do anything. And they actually have apparently another rollout in early February that was coming associated with Kobe Bryant. And I think the company's really taking a step back and figuring out what they do with that. And all of that just in it shows such a such respect uh, for the situation and an understanding of how to manage things like this appropriately. Yeah, the list goes. You know, you go through right the list, right through the list. Uh, Under Armour, Body Armour, Sesame Street. I I, I got a Nickelodeon. I, Nickelodeon, and the, the Merriam-Webster thing was terrific. Just top searches today: surreal, Mamba, legend, humility, heartbreaking. You know, it, it was. It was uh, Merriam-Webster's Twitter game, by the way, is excellent. As a absolutely. side note, they're they're really good. Yeah, <laughs> totally um, off topic. City of Los Angeles, LAX, City of Miami. It goes on and on. So um, just the breadth of the different people, yeah. that weighed in and felt a need to say something. Is... He, he had a um, part of a venture capital firm, two billion dollars worth of investments. So he he really had an impact and a, and a presence in so many different areas of business life and in marketing life. And those are the things, once we get through the considerable sort of tra- tragic fallout and sort of just the, the shock and the, the sadness, which will take a long time. Um, there are all these other areas of life uh, that he touched that, that, that we'll have to manage this. But uh, it's been quite a week, and that uh, was quite an event, mm-hmm. quite, a, quite a tragic event. Yeah. All right, Cayenne. Super Bowl Fifty Four is coming up. The big oh, wait. Do I have to say the I have to say the big game, right? Because of um, of uh, licensing. I, perhaps there's a Wicked big deja vu. We big, had this conversation last year. I think we did, because we did this last year. Yeah, we're now we're, we're now remembering podcast moments from a year ago. We're leaving a legacy behind. It's a legacy. Us. Anyways, the big game Super Bowl Fifty Four, San Francisco Forty ers Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not that interested in the game clearly because the Patriots not involved in the way it happened in the past, but I'm very excited because I've watched the Super Bowl since I was a kid. Um, what uh, what are your thoughts? What's the hype like? I mean, the ads so far, not so great. I mean, 
okay, I like the Boston thing, the smart car, but I... I actually find it kind of annoying. I find the overhyped Boston accent to be obnoxious. I I love seeing Big Pappy. I would have loved if if he put some more effort into actually, like, sounding like, I don't know, like 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 a Boston. That would have been kind of funny. And then you got... The Mr. Peanut ad's pretty fun, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Wesley Snipes. They killed Mr. Peanut. They killed Mr. Peanut, but of course he's not really dead. He'll survive. Uh, no one's talking about the fact that Wesley Snipes is blatantly in that ad and just. He's I just, haven't he's seen just it. There. Oh, what? I haven't seen the ad yet. You haven't seen the. I've ad. heard all about it. I just haven't actually clicked and watched it. All right. I've had a busy week. <laughs> anyway, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl this year, real quick? <laughs> Um, I'm really excited to see J-Lo <laughs> do the halftime performance. What a girl thing to say. Um, does she still record? Yeah. I mean, she's J-Lo. She does everything. She can do what she wants. She, yeah, she's just, you know, she's a phenomenon in and of herself. Um, I think I'll watch it. I won't stay awake for the whole thing. Um, I'll probably watch it with my son, and he won't be interested either. I think if, like, you're, if your team isn't in it, you're either kind of – Flipping back and forth, or you're going to a party. It's not like it's the Oscars. Wait, do you watch the Oscars? Not all the way to the end. (laughs) I like to be asleep by 10, okay? (laughs) It's just, I need sleep. Um, I think it's either a social thing, or it's a, you're watching it, and maybe you're flipping back and forth between that and something else, and tuning in, the commercials are good. You get your squares, you get some squares. Stuff like that. Um, Prop are fun, you know. But big, uh, you know... I think a big deal this year, we've got Katie Sowers, uh, who is the first female coach to ever be coaching in a Super Bowl game. She's an offensive so, assistant for the 40, for San Francisco. Offensive assistant coach for the San Francisco 49ers. She's making history this Sunday. Uh, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing for uh, women, young women and girls everywhere. And uh, Microsoft has a great ad out uh, that they've already been pushing around her as, like, the one um, and she says, you know, like people don't know until they see it. And now little girls and, and people are going to see. So I'm good for her. I'm awesome. excited for that. Great. All right, then. That's my contribution. Big game Sunday. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. They're going to throw a football. <laughs> All right, Cayenne. Thanks. That's it for 321 Go. Up next, our interview with Joan Vanaki from the Boston Globe. Okay, up next on OA On Air, we're joined by Joan Vanaki, Boston Globe columnist, Pulitzer Prize winning longtime journalist. Also, here, Kyan Isaacson, the official voice of OA On Air, and our colleague, Jamie Dunbar. Joan, it's a real pleasure to have you here in the OA On Air studio. It's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Excellent. Thanks. So you had a recent column uh, I found, as many others did, fascinating. The solution to Boston's housing and congestion crisis, Western Mass. Or could it be Western Mass? A fascinating piece uh, also featured uh, sort of a a meandering day you spent in Western Massachusetts. And I just want to open there and, and just talk about what's behind uh, what, what's behind that column and sort of what would, what what uh, thinking went into that well to be perfectly honest what was behind it was state senator eric lesser uh, d longmeadow who has become a relentless persistent you know advocate for getting people in boston to think about western massachusetts we met for the first time last fall we had a cup of coffee he mentioned going out there and um, eventually we set it up 
and that's how the whole thing evolved. I, you know, set my GPS for exit five and, you know, was, was ready to uh, explore foreign territory. <laughs> Excellent. There's a little bit of Western Mass DNA in this room. Myself and, uh, and Kyan both went to school out in Western Mass. I lived there and worked there for years. Jamie Dunbar, specifically, kind of living the life that you, that's modeled in your column Jamie, yeah. talk about it, right? You're a resident of Wilbraham in Hampton County and worked That's here right, at yeah. uh, O'Neill for many, many years. Yeah, I've worked at O'Neill for 17, and I've been doing the commute uh, from Wilbraham this year will be 15 years. I uh, grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, was very familiar with Western Mass, but after a number of years of living in the city here with my wife, when it was time to have a family, for any number of reasons, we found ourselves back at least to reside in the western part of the state. So, Joe, the nexus around this piece is, is, is a little bit about transportation. It's a little bit about housing costs and congestion. It's a little bit about lifestyle. Uh, just talk about that and, and, and what you learned in, in working on this piece and also just kind of what your your viewpoint is on this. Well, I went to um, three places and, you know, again, um, Eric Lesser set up the interviews so it wasn't like I was randomly finding people. Let's be upfront and honest about that. I went to Chicopee where I talked to this young couple that's running a coffee shop that they set up. I uh, went to Longmeadow where um, a guy who was a Harvard Business School grad um, has sort of set up one of these places, these you know, workplaces, what do they call them? Uh, work, uh, workspace. Co-working, co-working spaces. Co-work, yeah. um, renovated this beautiful old house where um, just as I wrote, you know, you'd be happy if it was in Kendall Square, just sort of gorgeous accommodations. Oh, yeah, young mansion. Very, yeah. very, a great rehab and great economic driver for Right off yep. of the uh, town green, yes. just a beautiful location. And then Springfield, where there was another one of these work sharing spaces. Um, and um, of course, you know, everyone that I talked to was just very positive about living out there working out there, the quality of life, and, you know, pointed out just the cost of living is so much less Mm -hmm. than it is around here. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the way Eric Lesser is trying to sell this, right, that we need better transportation. If we had better transportation, people here would have access to lower-cost housing, Um, and, and just sort of he's trying to combine it. I think it's a good strategy. It is, and it's a welcomed one. It's a great conversation that he's begun to have. I mean, I've sort of long, uh, to my chagrin, that the amount of connections the greater Springfield area has made to the greater Hartford area, now rightfully so given uh, proximity, but still we have better uh, public modes of transportation to get to another state's capital than we, we do our own uh, out in the western part of the state. And, um, uh, you know, the cost, as far as speaking to the cost of living, beyond housing, um, and, and, and even maybe some of the costs associated with starting up a, a business. There's a tremendous amount of entrepreneurs out in the western part of the state. Um, but, but even things uh, comparable to, you know, joining country clubs or, uh, um, uh, you know, sort of these ancillary benefits uh, once you get sort of outside of 495 is, uh, really makes for um, uh, a strong argument that folks should consider uh, maybe, you know, either working from home out in that, in that area or, or uh, committing to a longer commute. <laughs> Well, like I, myself. I, I was just going to say, I knew there, the train service was bad, but I didn't realize that there's really only one train a day that leaves Boston at 12.50 and arrives in Springfield sometime after 3 o'clock. So it's not even conducive to any kind of work commute. And it's part of a, I guess, Amtrak line that ends up in Chicago. So it's really not in any way, shape, or form a commuting rail service. Um, Three hours. That's a, that's a long time. 
just to go one, <laughs> just to go one drive. What is it? Was it an hour and a half for you to drive here? Yeah, yeah, most days that's about spot on. If you and an accident or something else can make it a little bit longer, but three hours is the uh, round the trip. max. Well, but three hours is the maximum in the worst case scenario of traffic or or a major incident. So uh, to 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 say I'm going to do that every day on a train is a is a tough stretch. But what was interesting was your story really looked at people who've made the work-life balance happen out there. They work, they live there, and they work there. And then you've got you know Jamie as an example as, as others, but uh, who really does commute into Boston every day. And what I've always found interesting, and I was having this conversation with someone who was like, "Oh my gosh, they live in Wilbraham, they drive to Boston every day." I'm like. It takes him less time to drive from Wilbraham into Boston than it does me from Canton, 20 minutes south of the city, to Boston, Monday through Friday. So it's almost like it's a toss. Why not? Sure. If you're if you're gonna drive if you're gonna drive, where does it matter where you're driving from if it takes an hour? And mine is sitting in traffic. Yours, <coughs> at least, you're moving. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Well, uh, when I when the Globe was located on Morrissey Boulevard and I was driving from Melrose to Morrissey Boulevard, it would often take me an hour and a half, if not more, on a really bad day. So um, an hour and a half straight driving without traffic is not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. And, and, and without traffic is is strong. There certainly is traffic. There's more and more every year. As I say, I've been doing this for 15 years, and it's certainly noticeable. Um, but I mean, obviously, the you know, on a Saturday or Sunday from Melrose or Canton, you're 10 minutes from downtown. Uh, but still, uh, not now anymore. You're only not anymore. No, well, right. then there try, you go. Get, try getting into <laughs> Boston on a Saturday or Sunday. It's like rush hour traffic. Well, we can shave maybe 20 minutes off of that hour and a half on a, on a weekend to come into Boston. But um, uh, people, you know, I think there is a perception that it's even further away in, in the minds of. Folks on both sides. Yeah. Folks in Boston think Western Mass is Ohio, and some folks out in Western Mass think, you know, you're coming into the big city coming out this way. But they're both uh, pretty manageable and, and pretty accessible. Yeah, there's a couple dynamics here you, you, you mentioned in the piece, Joan. One is just the the greater Boston sort of workforce uh, and, the, and, and the housing and congestion pressure uh, that that workforce is coping with, and, and are there solutions giving them access to housing and, and a lifestyle uh, further out that requires a commute, and then also access to job opportunities for the Western Mass population, and, and sort of putting those two pieces together. Obviously, the um, the key the, the link is going to be transportation. And you mentioned Eric Lesser. How important is it, Joan yourself, because you've been a political reporter also over the years, and and, and, and Jamie specifically that there is strong advocacy from the delegation. And, 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 and you've identified him as, as, as someone who's really becoming a strong advocate. Well, they once had a Senate president um, who, who's, who's no longer there. Yes. Um, I think uh, Richie Neal, Congressman Richie Neal, has been, um, quite honestly, I think Lesser may be kind of the catalyst. People have seen him get attention and headlines out of this push. And I, I'm starting to hear a lot more from Richie Neal uh, sort of pushing the idea of, of rail. Um, I know that Lesser um, endorsed Joe Kennedy in the race against Markey, and that um, one of the things that Joe Kennedy said when, he, um, when they announced the endorsement was his commitment to um, east-west rail. Yep. So 
I think what you're saying is absolutely true. And, and you I mean, think Congressman Neal has, has, he's has been, sounded that publicly also. Yes, he yeah. has. He's been, he's been yeah. a strong yeah. advocate. I mean, it should be noted, Congressman Neal also had, sec had secured millions of dollars over the course of decades to revitalize Union Station to at least now have a viable hub in downtown Springfield. Um, but yeah, he definitely also in more recent days has has you know certainly joined that. Right, but how do you make? But mantra. how do you make Governor Baker? How do well, you make this a priority yeah. for Governor Baker? I don't know the answer to that question. They've been kind of they they have this study that they've um, that they started back in 2018 um, about an east-west rail link. Initially, Governor Baker I think was not very positive about the idea. Then he at least signed on to the study. The release of the study has been delayed a few times. Mm -hmm. It's now supposedly due out sometime this spring, which is a fairly open-ended time frame. Um, but that you know that's key. If if the political force doesn't get behind it, it isn't happening. Yeah, and my re and my reference really was to Beacon Hill leadership from Western Mass, as opposed mm -hmm. to obviously and Congressman Neal, and now in a real in a position certainly to to be influential with his. Absolutely, but no, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, the entire Western Massachusetts delegation, I mean, I think that this would even ultimately benefit folks in the Berkshires, even if it still just stopped in, in Springfield, but hopefully it eventually does continue on someday. Uh, but they all do need to get together, sort of one voting block, one voice advocating on Beacon Hill for, for uh, you know, the east, the east-west rail links. Um, you know, I think uh, the governor, and rightfully so, with his hands full on, on a lot of other MBTA issues, I think was reticent to talk about any new starts. But I think you're starting to see the South Coast Rail Link. Obviously, the, the, the drumbeat is getting a little louder and more consistent from the western part of the state. And, and, you know, let's be honest, it's Massachusetts. It's not insurmountable to crisscross this state. Uh, in a day. Uh, and um, so to have a reliable source of public transportation, especially, you know, they talk high speed, I think that's going to take a lot of infrastructure improvements. But if it can truly be high speed with only a handful of stops like Worcester, Framingham, Boston, you've got a you've got, you've got a real um, uh, potential for, for something that's, uh, you know, could be very beneficiary to the western part. Joe, when I think about you, sometimes I think about real estate because over the years you've occupied prime real estate in the Boston Globe. When I first began working in the media here in Boston, uh, people said, you got to read Joan Vanaki. She is absolutely the must-read on the business page, must-read business columnist. Then you move to the op-ed page. You, you occupy that prime real estate there. You serve on the editorial board. Um, talk about the business and how the media has evolved uh, and how um, sort of life-covering Boston and covering politics and business and, and all the different areas you've covered has, has evolved and, and how your work life has changed? Uh, let's see. Let me count the ways. <laughs> Obviously, the media landscape has changed a great deal. It's all, it's all you know, digital now. Um, we're measured by clicks. Um, you can, in real time, see how many people are, are reading what you've written. And as a matter of fact, this piece about Western Mass was, they told me, was one of the best read pieces on the website that day. Um, See, there are people out there. Right, somebody was reading. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, yeah. I actually was a little bit surprised to hear that. Um, but then again, that the fact that I'm even thinking that way shows how different the mindset is. That you are tracking who's reading and how much time they're spending reading what you write, and that that's a measurement. Of success. Um, I try to write about things I care about 
and you know, sometimes they connect and lots of people read them and sometimes they don't. Um, I think that's, you know, that's sort of the basic big change in, in the media right now, just the, the constant measurement of, it's kind of like baseball analytics, right? Yeah. You, you measure people by these numbers. It's real-time feedback and, 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 and analysis of the kind of impact you're having with a particular story. Right. I mean, in the old days, we sat there and wrote, you know, wrote about and decided what we think people should know about. Now we get feedback and we're more reactive to what the consumer audience wants. And um, that's only fair since we're asking them to pay a great deal for our product. You talk about the amount of uh, feedback and comments you got on this. There was, I think, 204 comments just on the article when I looked at it today, and that's a week later. Um, and then I'll, obviously you get inundated with emails and tweets and things like that. I'm curious on this story, like, did you hear from anyone that had any new or really innovative ideas that you think no one has really thought about yet? Or No, I would say that the comments or the emails broke down um, along these lines. There were a lot of people that thanked me for writing about it and thought it was interesting, and of course I welcomed every one of those. And then there were a lot of people who said, I didn't know anything about Western Massachusetts. Um, I didn't know the Pioneer Valley from Hampshire County. I didn't know, I, I clearly was a lost soul wandering around. Um, but that, you know, that's kind of classic. My reaction to that is, well, at least they read it. Um, and they seem to be it seemed to have read it from beginning to end, which um, in this day and age is, is something of a triumph in itself. Um, and I also wondered, I mean, maybe you could, uh, you could speak to that. Do people in Western Massachusetts, would they welcome an influx of people from the Boston area heading out there thinking they were, they were headed to the promised land? Sure, sure. And it is funny because I do think sometimes in Western Mass you find a little bit of a self-defeatist attitude. I was surprised you didn't get comments that said, of course, nobody from out there wants to come out here. Uh, but to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm a big champion for Western Massachusetts, not just because I live there, but, you know, I grew up there. And I, there is a, a wealth of resources of uh, you know, great industry, uh, as well as all the other benefits we, we mentioned today. But to answer specifically to your, your question is, um, you know, I, I would have to think that they would. I mean, that's the people are the vitalization of your neighborhoods. And, you know, when you see these declines in certain towns and then the struggles they have with their school budgets and then that spiral continues to get worse, you know, they, they really should start thinking about it in a new way. And I would really hope that most people would welcome this influx. Um, you know, we're already starting to see boosts in Uber and things like Uber Eats and DoorDash, which unfortunately, I, it's sad to say, are relatively new to Western Massachusetts, but they're there and, and they're, they're gaining steam. Um, so, you know, I think if, you know, I don't know if it's Boston finding Western Mass, but certainly the 21st century, uh, you know, has and, 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 you know, not that, not like that, that's actually kind of a negative connotation on Western Mass, I have to admit. But um, I'm glad but, you said it and not me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I guess that the point is we are as, as sophisticated as anywhere else, just maybe in smaller numbers and population. Right. I mean, to have people go out there is, is great. As you say, you know, people equals life. But um, say in Chicopee, um, Senator Lesser showed me all those um, old mill buildings mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you look at them and, well, what they could use something in them, some sort of job, you know, sure. opportunities going on there. Yeah. And I guess uh, the Baker administration has put several million dollars towards it, but it's, it takes more than that, and it takes a commitment from some yeah. business operation to decide 
yeah, uh, we're going to bet on Chicopee. And that, that's, you know, that, that's, that's so true. Easy that's to true. Do. And a lot of the mill towns and gateway cities across the Commonwealth have these large infrastructure, these buildings, these mill buildings. Um, but there are a lot that have the lights on, and there's a lot going on in them that people are not aware of. And I do, I really do believe that there is a narrative to be told about some of the business and in, industry that is and has moved into some of these facilities. Uh, people don't even understand. There's a, a, a cluster of aerospace engineers in one of the mill buildings in downtown Springfield that when I was a kid was known for having a, a massive fire in it. And I think some people still think of it as the, the fire building on, at 1 Allen Street. But 1 Allen Street is a great success story now, really filled with a lot of interesting entrepreneurs as well as sort of more sophisticated R&D type work being done. Well, I would be interested in going back and seeing that, you know, honestly, because when people think of Springfield now, the thing that gets most of the press is the casino, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, and um, I, had, I, you know, honestly, it was the first, I've been in Springfield before, but I hadn't been there in quite some time. It was the first time I actually saw the casino. Hmm. I thought, you know, it was a pretty good-looking building that did a lot for that block. Um, it, it sounds like it's not doing as well as they expected, but then none of the casinos in right, Massachusetts right, right, right. really are. Yeah, the aesthetics certainly blend into the downtown much yeah. better than I think the original plan of I, a uh, sort I, of a large glass. I, I agree. I second or third that motion. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, my, it's a it's a it's a nice facility. It's a good looking nice building, facility. and it it yep. sort of blends in and sort of adds to it. And you could see that the concept. I'm not a big casino fan, but it seems like conceptually, it works. But you need more than that. Sure, to absolutely. Bring, you need to all that ancillary city. spinoff that they discussed. It would become an economic engine for. And I, I think you do see pockets of it. I think there are some success stories out there with, to go along with that. But I certainly don't want to take you away from Senator Lesser. But anytime, Joan, <laughs> I'd be happy to show you around <laughs> Western Massachusetts. You're, you're always welcome. Yeah. All right. Joan Vinaki from the Boston Globe. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on OANR. It's been a pleasure. It's fun to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. This is the 78th week, and mm-hmm. pretty impressive, huh? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Cosmo and I were talking about um, how we're now talking about things on this podcast that we've talked about before. And we have as many as thirty-five to 50,000 people who can kind of burrow in and listen to us if they choose to. Based on our yeah, calculations. Yeah, we got people listening. They want to hear what you have to say. I'm not sure about that, Cayenne, but you're nice to say it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about, you know, the three or four or five days we have between now and Iowa. Mm-hmm. Those polls are changing every day because they're having daily polls, if you will. And the latest, the, the latest poll by USA Today um, and, and uh, Suffolk University uh, and now the Boston Globe are conducting polls every single night in Iowa up to and including... Election day or primary day morning, because um, it's changing day it, by day. It's changing day by day, and where three or four days ago all the polls had Bernie Sanders running ahead, this poll is the first poll to have Biden, as of two days ago, running five points ahead of Bernie Sanders. So it's up. It, it, it's really kind of topsy turvy, and I think people are, are trying to find out exactly, you know, who is who, who is going to win this thing. They're still undecided. Mm-hmm. Vote is at around thirty-five or thirty-six percent. An extremely large number of people who are undecided at this point in the game, number one. And number two, the major issue in Iowa on the Democratic side is get rid of Trump. And who best can do that? It's not the economy. 
It's not education. It's not Iraq. It's getting rid of Trump. Forty percent of the people polled expecting to go to the caucuses have that uppermost in their mind. So I, I think How do you those, feel about that? Do you think that's the right? I, I, I think that with everything stance. going on in Washington, and I, and I think, honestly, people are— I think people are kind of tired of, of everyday impeachment, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, they have false news on the one hand combating real news on the other, and people are, I, I think, struggling to find out if they're bothering to, you know, who, who really is telling the truth here. Uh, I may have my opinions, you may have yours, but I think the American people have theirs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I, I think since the impeachment probably will, will not go to witnesses and therefore kind of end a very quiet and sudden death, I, I do think that the polling place is the best place to have the American people identify and tell you what it is they want to do, and if it's get rid of the existing president, then so be it. Have their say. Have their I mean, say. That's, that's it's, what Election it's, Day is about, it's, right? It's, that's the American, our, it's the American way. That's our chance. That's right. So we've got Iowa early next week, New Hampshire close behind. Yes. A lot of thoughts as to whether or not Iowa impacts New Hampshire anymore. Oh, it sure does. Um, if, if people will begin to focus in, and they have been focusing in New Hampshire, but around the country they begin to focus in. If he, Biden wins, if he wins Iowa, Chances will be that he'll come in very first or, or very close second in New Hampshire, and then he has a pretty good sailing beyond that. Mm-hmm. If Bernie Sanders were to win and then win New Hampshire, it would, de- it would be determined by how close Biden is as to whether he can, he can stay afloat until South Carolina, California, and Nevada. And um, my guess is that it'll, it'll be at the final end of the day, it'll be Joe Biden. Or if he, for some reason, peters out, you'll see a Bloomberg kind of raise his head in the later party caucuses and primaries. So we'll see. But I think America's yearning to have a moderate, yeah. to be honest with you. And no that's what David Paleologos was saying in those polls that he took for USA Today. Mm-hmm. America is looking for the Gerald Ford of this generation, who is going to come in after all this chaos and give people a unifying voice, a comforting voice, and a stabilizing voice. Yeah, well, that, that would be nice. Probably not Bernie Sanders, though. Probably not Bernie Sanders. He's just um, yeah. he's just too controversial, I think, mm-hmm. for the time. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's a long road, and a week in politics, as everybody knows, this can be it can be a lifetime. Well, this time next week, we're going to be having conversations that aren't really looking, you know, making hypotheses. It's we'll gonna, be we'll we're be have a lot more to deal with next week. I hope you'll have David Paleologos on, and I hope you'll have a couple of other people who are in the know who have been through this process before on the podcast yeah. as well. So, looking forward to it. It'll be a great discussion week. Thanks, Tom. All right, Diane. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week. Thank you.